And now, rate that album, season three, with Paul Muadib and Joe Fremming, two guys who know stuff. Hi, and welcome to Rate That Album, the back and forth podcast uh, review with myself, Paul Muadib, and my good friend, Joe Fremming. Joe, how are we doing this eve, sir? Paul, I think you you confused this podcast with our podcast above a convenience store this week. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I was actually going to bring that up, so I'm glad you did it first. So, yes, we are doing Julie Cruz, uh, her second uh, album, The Voice of Love. Um, and, yeah, Joe, if I had known <laughs> what I knew after, after researching – I would have picked uh, her third album, um, The Art of Being a Girl, which actually came out in 2002. But you know what? As we mentioned at the end of the last podcast, it is the 30th anniversary for Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. So why don't we just do this one? Still, it works. Um, And she did pass away this past summer, too. Yes, she did pass away. And I I did want to do it back then, but... Again, other things had come up, and I just I knew we would get to it sooner than later, so I'm just glad we did. Um, so, Joe, you and I both um, are fans of Julie Cruz. Um, you, we both know a little bit. Yeah. I think you know more than I do. I, uh, I don't know. I, my knowledge of Julie Cruz is based off of the, like the supplement materials on the the Twin Peaks box sets over the years. Okay, she's always like interviewed and. God, she was so great because, like, she never really held back. And for some whatever reason, Lynch was just, like, okay with her kind of complaining about him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she did have uh, some grievances against Lynch. And then I followed her on social media around the time The Return came back. Okay. And that was entertaining because, like, when her uh, – she does – she did uh, The World Spins, which is, I think is on the album before this one. Mm-hmm. Same with Falling is on the album before those two. Correct. And like her, her performance was edited short and she just went, uh, she kind of got pissed and let people on Facebook know. Yeah, no, she was, uh, yeah, there was an interview. Well, since we're getting into that, I'll actually talk about that here. Um, so she's yeah, she, not on this album. So let's, let's get some yeah, of the, let's, let's get some of the, the Rocky the, stuff. Cause like she did have her grievances with Lynch. A lot of it, from what I remember from again the supplement in interviews that he put on his own box set was uh, her complaints oftentimes was like her non-involvement in the lyric writing department. Oh really? Okay, so go on with that. Yeah, because that's something that I was trying to research, but I couldn't find. I knew you had talked about this. So what's the story? So it came I down think it was to- with falling. Okay, and because uh, you know Lynch was writing it for the lyrics for Twin Peaks, I believe. Mm-hmm. And like this album and the previous, I think it was the same with the previous album that he wrote most, almost all the lyrics and Angela Badalamenti did the product, the, the arrangements, mm-hmm. but she was kind of, I remember seeing an interview where she was kind of frustrated that she wasn't writing lyrics to the song she was singing. And uh, like, I could be misremembering that, but I can see as a, a singer, being a little annoyed by that because mm-hmm. Lynch is very much when he's on his projects, he seems very uh, tunnel visioned. 
Correct. So that's about all I know. And then the world turns because she was very vocal about that one. Yeah. So, and I went, that one I did find information on. So with that one, um, she was pissed um, because she appeared at part 17 singing world spins. And she said that she no longer cared about the series. It was trash. And she made it just screaming her face off while watching the episode. Um, uh, according to Cruz, Lynch did everything he could to bring her back for an appearance. She said she didn't want to do it. He convinced her to do it and promised her it'd be, you know, a way that she'd be happy with it. And she was pissed at the editing of the sequence poorly and called the post-production work, quote, a slap in the face and said that Lynch treated her as trash. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, he's very tunnel visioned. Um, I can't speak for him, but I can understand her. I mean, it, it seems they work together on these two albums and they really never worked again. So, well, and that's and pretty telling. It is very telling, you know, and she did have, she passed away from, um, uh, systemic, uh, lupus. And when she passed, uh, David Lynch posted a video, um, on David Lynch theater, the YouTube page and said that I found out the great Julie Cruz passed away. Very sad news. Uh, so might be a good time to appreciate all the good music she made and remember her for being a great musician, a great singer and a great human being. Um, so I don't think he was ever upset with her. Um, and according to this, um, uh, she was, um, there. He played her, um, Rome by the B-52s during what he called her transition and uh, said, "Um, now show Rome forever. Rest in peace, my love. So they must have done something. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It says uh, she died by suicide. Um, I think so. I think it was. I think she was sick and then yeah, she was sick. Yeah. And that's. You know, very commonplace. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I have to apologize. I have to fix that. That was not Lynch um, that said the, the B-52s. It was her husband, Edward Grinnan. It was yeah. um, miscontributed. So my apologies on that. So it was her she husband. Was, uh, she, she filled in for one of the women in the B-52s. On oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I came across that information randomly. But yeah, I think it was on a post like when he announced she had passed. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I believe that she was dealing with this and uh, with the lupus. And that was kind of it. Um, You know, her husband said that she left on her own terms. Um, So I think he was there. Her husband was with her when she committed suicide. Yeah. 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 So. um, All right. So a little bit more about Julie Cruz. Um, She was born in Iowa. Uh, again, this is that Midwest flipping stuff on its head. Um, <laughs> in 1985, um, when Angelo and David Lynch were working on Blue Velvet, um, she uh, um, was, well, I should go back. She met Angelo when she moved to New York and played Janis Joplin in a review called Beehive. And that's how she came across Angelo. 
And then Angelo made the David Lynch connection. And so when they were doing Black Velvet, she also served as a vocal coach for Isabella um, in um, in that movie. And, you know, and that's where, again, everything kind of comes around, Joe, where the key scene in Blue Velvet, the, the key scene in Blue Velvet was intended to feature the Moyle Coils version of the <laughs> song to the siren with Elizabeth Fraser. And when it proved to be prohibitively expensive, um, they suggested that um, Angelo compose the pop song in the, in the same style and Lynch would write the music. And they needed a voice. And Angelo said, hey, I worked with this girl uh, who did Janis Joplin um, who has this really ethereal voice, ethereal voice. Let's let's see if, if this will work for you. And it was the mysteries of love. And that was the start of the relationship. And then uh, actually, um, then her, in 1989, she put out her first debut album, Floating in the Night, which was also, again, l- lyrics by lynch and music by angelo i'm saying angelo because like i always mispronounce his last name so i'm not even gonna embarrass myself <laughs> that way joe um then lynch put out a uh, arvent guard smoothie uh called industrial symphony number no. one yep um so and you gotta find a copy of that i have never seen it and i want to so i've never seen it i want to see it because it's got nick cage lord dern Julie Cruz and Michael J. Anderson. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, absolutely uh, want to uh, see that. I got to get a copy of that. But yeah, um, it's only 15 minutes. I, I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, why we're having such a hard time finding it. Um, I'm going more in depth because we did lose her, so I'm kind of you know going yeah. through her whole kind of deal here. Um, when the first album was released, uh, it hit the billboards. It charted. Um, then the second, uh, more significant project um, was the soundtrack to Twin Peaks, which again had those three involved in it. The song "Falling," uh, you know, we know that it was a minor sensation. It won a Grammy, um, and on the soundtrack, it featured uh, Cruz's song um, as well as "Falling" as "Into the Night" and "Nightingale," which went on to go gold. Uh, which was uh, at the time not common for a television soundtrack gives you an idea how big Twin Peaks was. We did a whole fucking co- podcast about it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you know, Julie was uh, in a bunch of episodes of Twin Peaks. Um, and then of course, Twin Peaks fire walk with me, which we will get to um, has songs from this album on there. Yeah, she was, she was in the episode where uh, the killer was revealed, I believe. Was revealed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. She's singing Falling, and then the giant shows up. Yeah, it's it was happening um, again. No, she was singing Rockin' Back Inside My Heart. Okay. And then, and then the world spins was the two. But yes, no, Falling, she did in, was that the, season, was that the pilot? One. Yeah, I think it's season one. I think it was season one. I think that was the pilot. Um, where it was doing falling, um, where she's got like the weird biker outfit on, um, because I think 
shit it's been so long now joe and it's you know it's it's getting to be i mean last time i watched it was in february and i should know this but there was one episode where she's in the red dress and then there's the other episode where she's in like the biker outfit singing those songs it was such a weird <laughs> hearing julie cruz sing the way she was in this really hardcore biker get up was kind of interesting um, but then, um, she, uh, redid, uh, the, one of the songs for the episode of dual spires for the show psych, <laughs> which was a, uh, spoof on, um, or a parody or a love letter, uh, to twin peaks. It also had, um, Ray rise in that episode where he played a priest. Um, I, I'm not, a, I didn't watch the show, but I did watch that episode and it was very good. Um, and actually, when they when they released that episode, they released it on air 20 years to the day after Laura Palmer's murderer was revealed. Um, so the, the people at Psych said they would have never been able to do it if it hadn't been for um, Twin Peaks, which a lot of people said. So um, she w- did have a stint on Saturday Night Live. Um, which was only because Sinead O'Connor refused to show up because Andrew Dice Clay was hosting. <laughs> so she she did falling. Um, and then uh, they she did some more work, um, which uh, they did a uh, cover of Elvis Presley's um, "Summer Kisses," "Winter Tears," um, and. Then she kind of, there was the falling out, right? There was the falling out. And she didn't do much, Joe, um, till 2002. And that was The Art of Being a Girl. And that was her first album, which Lynch didn't write the lyrics. And Angela was not involved in any of it. Everything was written and done by her um, and guest produced by Rick Storm. Um, she released another album in 2011 which had a cover of Donovan's season of the witch. And that was, you know, mostly it. I mean, she did a couple of things like in, uh, in the electronic world, she collaborated with Moby on some unreleased music. She worked with a band called hybrid on a few things. Uh, She appeared on albums, one 900 get con and no comprendo by con. Um, Yeah. I mean, she was just kind of all around, but just kind of doing her own thing. Um, she provided vocals with Farrell Williams on Handsome Boys Modeling School songs. Um, so, yeah, she was always kind of around doing her own thing. Uh, and I think she was totally okay with that. Yeah, that's awesome, you know? Yeah. So, that yeah, was... She was getting by. She was doing... If she was... Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, she was doing absolutely fine, you know, and kind of just... Doing her own thing. And I think she had that voice, you know, that could, and well, I think we'll get in that. So, um, Joe, obviously you and I, I think we both have the exact same, how we learned about Julie Cruz was only through Twin Peaks. I think that's pretty much how anyone uh, did it. Uh, I was even Blue Velvet. I mean, I knew of the the music, but I, I was in a Twin Peaks before Blue Velvet because I was young. We were younger. Yeah, I was way too young when Blue Velvet. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. There's no way in hell, like. My parents would have had me watching <laughs> like, although they seemed to thought Twin Twin Peaks was okay, and that was absolutely wrong too. But hey, <laughs> we are. you and me both, sir. You and me both. Um, so let's uh, let's get into it. Um, so yeah, the first, and this is what I want to say. This is one of the first. Uh, I want to preface this. I normally don't make notes, but I had to make notes on this one um, because I felt like. 
I was going to get confused by which song was what if I didn't yeah. make both. Yeah, I, I have that problem. Uh, I'll get tripped up. I, I, and it's not because I think they're they're all the same. It's just it's a very kind of different genre for me. Mm-hmm. And I was very delightfully happy by this whole album. It's just it scratches every itch for me mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, especially uh, just very uh, it's surreal. And heartbreaking and beautiful all at once. And can we talk about the cover of the album for a minute, Joe? Did you look at the cover of the album? Yeah, it's like a Lynch thing. It's it's it looks like I, the head of the bubblegum. Like the the <laughs> <laughs> this is this is way before like Lynch has ideas and Lynch keeps these ideas oh, for yeah. many, many years. Yes, I was like, that is oh, the bubblegum tree. Yeah, he he's Remember the the log lady was originally intended for eraser head. So that's right, true, true. So yeah, first we get uh, this is our night, which was kind of interesting. Um, it's kind of got that reggae beat to it. Yeah, there's a lot of weird and wild influences going on was, throughout the album, but this one was like the reggae guitar, but yet it's still very dream popish. Dream popish. Very much of the uh, Angelo and Lynch and Julie's uh, sound. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't sound out of place for me. No, it's just kind of it's weird because you don't really expect it, and then it just kind of it it just kind of melts into it for me. And then I just stop kind of thinking about the influences because I'm just in for the ride for the songs, which is not common for me when we're doing these. <laughs> reviews yeah completely agree with I'm you trying to be like oh very like aware and like of all the intricacies but this was was tough because like i, I decided to like listen to this while taking a walk along the red river here in fargo and yeah. i was just like in a dream state and it ended i was like wait what the fuck <laughs> you know like holy shit like i'm three miles from my house <laughs> yeah no it was i had to, i feel the same way like i was listening to a lot and when I was driving and I would lose track of time in a way, uh, it's kind of odd how that works with this album. Um, you know, the one thing I will say throughout this entire album that kind of precedes it, one of the things you got to understand about Angelo's style of music is it's got very much that lounge style feel to it in a way. If you're, if you're like a lounge lizard on like a lot of LSD. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But the la- but the and, and but the the lounge influence to me feels like a lot. But yeah, it's like uh it's like a weird jazz lounge LSD fueled dream pop. <laughs> and what Julie's voice does is it's hard if you haven't heard her voice as a listener, it's hard to describe it because I don't there's nothing like it, but I would put it akin to uh, Kate Bush and some of the things that Kate Bush can do with her voice. But Julie takes it to like a different level with that breath, like the yeah. breathiness, the earthiness of, of it. And the fact that she gets these extreme sopranos um, and the high notes that she can hit, it's... It was also kind of like, it makes me not pay attention to the lyrics, which is fine because as we discussed in the Twin Peaks podcast, Lynch is not the strongest uh, 
writer. No. <laughs> it's very much a visual artist, so I was perfectly fine not being able to pay attention to a lot of the lyrics. And I forget which which album it was, Joe, that we did. It was it was one of our more recent ones, uh, where we had talked about where the vocals was less about the the lyrics. Or, or, oh yeah, Funhouse. Funhouse. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's yes, very yes. kind of like very much like this too. It was like it was more of a an instrument than trying to get the message across. I guess would be. Yes, it's the way to kind of explain it. it it's more. It's complimenting the music and, you know, like where I don't care what the lyrics are saying. Yeah, the the, the, the lyrics are not important as, as important as what the vocal notes are doing in concert with the music, uh, with, with the backing music. Uh, I mean, to give you guys an idea, this is, these are the lyrics um, for this one, for This Is Our Night. When all my days are wanting you, when all your days are wanting me, why can't it ever be tonight is our night? Tonight is our night to fall in love, so love, so deep in love. Tonight is our night. Tonight is our night. We'll always be remembering this one night. It's Lynch. It's not. He he also isn't really concerned about the lyrics per se on this particular thing. He's just it's there for something for Julie to sing in a way that's going to match. It's more about the syllables than it is the words. Yeah. Um, yeah. So next one we get is this space for love. Um, I've had this thing where I said, you know, when her voice hits over, this one has that typical Twin Peaks Angelo sound to it. Yeah. Even and, though it's not used. I don't think this was used in Twin Peaks, but it, Feels like it should have been in Twin Peaks. Yes, yes, yeah, right, right. I, it, it says it wasn't, and nowhere does it say it was. But I feel like it was, like, or at least if it was, it was it had it wasn't with her vocals. It was used yeah. just as an instrumental by Angelo. Um, but once her voice hits over that beat in the chorus, it sounds like a soulful hymn. Is the best way mm. I could describe it. It sounds a lot of. The, I, I had that. I th same thought on a couple songs too, very kind of a, almost like religiously kind of mm -hmm. feeling like a hymn and mm -hmm. like, especially with the last song of the voice of love, but we'll get to that because there's a very specific reason for that one. Yes. Yes. Um, so again, I'm just going to go through some of the Lynch's lyrics here so we can all giggle along. Um, the, the trees along the sidewalk are shadowing the light for distant stars, and tenderly the night surrounds us as we walk the quiet streets, while time is taken by the gentle wind to make space for love. <laughs> um, again, it's not about the lyrics, but I'm nope. just throwing them out there. I'm just throwing them out there. Um, yep, so is Lynch. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so and that's exactly what Lynch is doing. Um, then we got moving in on you, also moving on in you. <laughs> yep. but, uh, <laughs> moving on yeah. in. Yeah. Um, Joe, what was your thoughts on this one? Eh, it wasn't one of my favorites on the album. Kind of uh, took me out a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't yes. know. It just didn't flow as... It just kind of It was a little jarring when this one came up. And same with a uh, cool cat walk too. Kind of did the same thing to me, where it just kind of takes a tonal shift, which I'm all right with. But it just, uh, it just s stuck out, and I did I didn't enjoy it as much. Mm -hmm. I guess it would be my complaint. Yeah. So you know, there was. 
I w- was I, I I've been working on an album for many many years. It's like my Chinese democracy. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> look at Axl Rose over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been working on this album. Yeah, on Buckethead on there too. <laughs> I am Buckethead. <laughs> I am Buckethead on the album. Um, yeah, it and you know it's more like a hobby piece to me than anything. Like I'll ever maybe put out. Maybe I will over the years eventually put it out, but. Um, point is is that i had many years ago i had played part of it for someone and they had said to me you know you, the multi-layering with the vocals it, it doesn't work because it's your voice and i thought about that and you know what when you look at certain artists that do do um this kind of multi-layering of their own voice seldom does it work um because it's Freddie mercury you know yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, unless you're Freddie Mercury or one of the very few. And on this one, where she's got, at one point, it's three overdubs. It's her singing with two um, harmonies of herself. And normally it wouldn't work. And it, it, it does, but at the same time, I have to admit that it does take me out a little bit because of the fact that it is very distinctly three of her singing and so it for whatever reason i don't know if it's reality or what it is in terms of maybe it's just because my brain knows wait a minute it kind of that pulls me out of a song a little bit unless it's done like perfectly or like in the uh, in a very distinct right way and it just yeah i kind of i it pulled me out when that was going on yeah so um the next one we have is friends for life uh joe i'll let you start with this one i don't really remember how this one goes paul this is where i'm gonna get tripped up yep understandable so for my notes all i said all these songs uh have like a movie soundtrack quality to them which makes sense i mean yeah (laughs) yeah which makes sense which makes sense but this one to me felt more like vangelis than angelo it, it had like a very chariots of fire uh, vibe to it, um, somewhat of a Blade Runner vibe to it than it did the standard Angelo. So that I thought was very interesting. Um, and I was more at this point in the at least in this point of the album, um, I have to say that I've you know I've gotten used to Julie's voice. So it, to me now at this point, I'm listening to the background music more. And it's this one was the one I was kind of like, this is when I was like, this one kind of feels weird. I liked it, um, but it just, you know, it didn't feel like the other ones in terms that it was written um, the way that was. So, yeah, there's like a few songs on here. I think if you cut, it would have flowed a little better or something. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely, there is a flow issue with this album. Um, it's it's rounded out with the fact that the way that Julie sings and the way that it works and the way that it does, it still has that connective tissue. But yeah, there is this weird sequencing um, problem. Next one is Up in Flames, which is classic Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, classic Twin Peaks that... I- as far as I know, isn't on Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yet, but I, uh, so this was like my favorite. Actually, this was my favorite track that okay. was like non-used in a Twin Peaks 
like it was so reminiscent. Like I was like, oh, this has to be fucking in the show, and like it's not. I thought, least, I like, thought it was. As far I as I know, unless it was not credited as this. Yeah, I, I it didn't. Feels see like a Red Room song almost. It definitely felt like a Red Room song. Yeah, hundred percent. It felt like a Red Room song, and I thought it was in Twin Peaks, but it maybe it and it may not have been, um, because you know when you look at it, there's three songs that are kind of credited to being in Twin Peaks, and this isn't one of them. No, but this so, definitely felt like it was, Paul. Like, uh-huh. I swear to God, as like because I was listening, I was like, yeah, this was it, and I'm looking, and you're like, what the fuck, this wasn't it. And like, so yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, Mandela effect because it's it's that opening, that opening kind of drum and that the the yeah it's it was, I, if it's not in Twin Peaks, he did something. Angelo did something very 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 similar. Or it might have been in it, and it's just under a different title. Might be, but yeah, I I I said the same. I was just like this. I I said the same thing. I was like, I'm like, oh, this was in Twin Peaks, and then I'm looking later. I'm like, it wasn't in Twin Peaks. What the fuck. Uh, <laughs> so next we get a uh, cool cat walk. Um, Joe, you've kind of already uh, said how you feel about cool cat walk, but why don't you elaborate on that? Uh, it just doesn't feel like it fits. Like I know this was used in wild at heart, but yeah, this is just, uh, it's, it's, it's the weird one that just like totally interrupts the flow for me. I think the others like are a little more forgiving, but this one is just like, it just kind of dead stop. Yeah, it's. I don't like it. So I don't like the song. I just don't. So I. This is this is the notes that I have for it. I again, I marked down that was the instrumental was used for Wild at Heart. It is. It is the oddball song on this album. Yeah. Uh, um. It, and it, it very there, there's another one, but it's very much a a um oddball song on on the album. Now, I actually like this song. I like the style. I like the way that it is. I kind of like that jazzy club 30s, 1930s feel that I get from it. So I actually like it. I might have liked it if it was on a different album. Yes, you nailed it. Because I said, it. I can't take away from the fact that it's a good song. It's just the fact that it's on this album makes it stand out and not necessarily in a good way. Um, and the fact that it's six, it's the longest song on the album. So you've had like all this way that you go and then you hit this and then, uh, dear listeners, you have the rest of it, which doesn't sound like it. So you end up having like this, this essentially tack kind of hanging out from the wall from the rest of the picture. And it's an ugly tack. Um, that's the best way I could kind of describe it. It's a good song, but not good on the album. No, yeah, it just it just sticks out, interrupts the flow for me. So, mm-hmm. next we get until the end of the world. Love this song. Allegedly not on Twin Peaks, but I feel like it was. Yep, a, a very industrial sounding. The drums are very. Uh, uh, I would say probably in considering when this came out. What was it like ninety ninety three? I feel like it was inspired by uh, the industrial bands like Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and stuff. But all so you have that that kind of drum going into this very Twin Peaksy, lush, beautiful craziness. So yeah, I love this song. Yeah. Um, so I, interesting. Interestingly, you you bring that up because 
I <laughs> felt like this belonged. I love this song. Love this song. Love this song. Um, I felt like it was, a, it felt like I heard at the end of like some video game I beat is how I kind of looked at it. Like this is like a role playing. This is like the ending credit song or like the ending that's going on as you're watching after you beat like a 50 hour long role playing game. Um, and what's really interesting to me, and I actually had to look up the years is that the beginning piano notes match the notes for the Chrono Trigger's ending theme song, Far Off Promise. But the notes match, but the timing is a little different. And I was looking at who did it first because it's it's uncanny that the notes are being that the notes are there and it being kind of the song that it was. That I actually think that the composer who um, I absolutely love, um, who is Yasunori uh, Masuda. Um, who's a Japanese video game composer. I actually think he got inspiration from this um, because it is spot on. It is literally the same note for note, just a little sped up. So um, I do think there was that in it. But yeah, I, I also did. I was like, this was on this is on Twin Peaks. And I looked and it wasn't. And then I was like, God, <laughs> this, this would this would fit. Yeah, uh, like any video game. Um, so. Next, we get uh, She Would Die for Love, which, which is, was used in Twin Peaks. Which was used in Twin Peaks. Uh, this I is like the song when all when things are about to go awry. Mm -hmm. This is that song that, like, yep. the very, like, uh-oh, uh -oh. the trigger warning, like, shit's going down. <laughs> yep. yep. Like, this is, it's the pay attention song, yep. right? Yep, it's Josie's fucking up, or oh, Ben Horn is scheming again, or yep, yep. Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why are the, why is this, why are we seeing these the stoplight again? Yep, why like, are we seeing the stoplight? Uh oh, Bob's coming. Bob's coming. We're fucked now. <laughs> Here come my nightmares. <laughs> Girls going tits up now. The Bob's showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so, and um um. It's yeah, and so that was on Twin Peaks, um, and it's it's a it's the classic Twin Peaks song. Yeah. So and it was nice. Vocals to hear. are yeah, it's just this is a, a fantastic song. It's just so weird, and just how it's arranged is so. It just gives you that off feeling. Mm -hmm. Like even if you hadn't watched Twin Peaks, like you hear this, like oh something's afoot. Yeah. A hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. Yep, nope. I, I knew it right away when I heard. it. I was like, ah, I know this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and as this album, now we're getting to the part where we're kind of talking about where I was like, shit, I really should have picked her third one because there's a lot of Twin Peaks on here, and we weren't really getting what I felt was Julie. Uh, what was Julie? But uh, the other thing is, is that for half of her career, uh, over half of her career. This was what she did. So I think this is a good snapshot into her, the beginning phases of her career. So I still stand by the fact that, we, that we're reviewing this album. Um, track nine. Um, this is the one track that Julie wrote yep. um, with uh, Lewis and Tusi, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, what was your thought on this one? I like it. I thought it worked well. It just It, it wasn't... You know, for the song that wasn't co-done with Lynch and Angelo, I, I didn't feel like it was out of place. 
I'm like, cool cat walk. Yeah. Yeah. Cool so cat I felt walk. it worked just, just fine here. And I felt like this could have almost been in Twin Peaks, too. It could have been on Twin Peaks. I will say that I put down that this one was an oddball song due to the chord structure and the notes. It yeah. still sounded like... I put it back. I was like, this this is kind of like a Vangelis song again, uh, where uh, I kind of going back to track four, um, Friends for Life. I was like, OK, but whereas the other tracks, the way that uh, Angelo really uses the minors and the flats, um, this one didn't have that. But the but the it still had some similar um, tonal and arrangements portions of it. But what I really loved about it is when it hits the chorus and it, it, it really hits an extreme high with her blending of the voice and the instrumentation. Um, I think this one for me is a, is, is a, is a highlight um, in terms of that. It really, when you get to that chorus and then it goes back to the verse, you really want to go back to the chorus because it's so pretty. Like you're like, there were several times where I was tempted, like I want to just rewind and listen to that again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's again, I, I like, I like it. Like it's just, yeah. Yeah. So then we get track 10, Questions in a World of Blue, Joe. <laughs> yep, another Twin Peaks song. Another Twin Peaks song. Yeah. Um, but, or, you know, like, you know, like, but these are fire walk with me. And so it's hard to listen to these, these Twin Peaks songs without getting the memories of, like, the scenes that these were in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, um, when, when Up in Flames happened, track five. I was racking my brain, Joe, because like when that trumpet comes in and everything like towards the end of the song, I was like, fuck, I've heard this before. And I was like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of the crow. And I'm like, that's not it. Was it Dark City? That's not it. And I was like, oh, it's a Bowie. It's got to be Bowie. It's had to be something off like maybe when he did Heathen on Last Highway. So I went back and was I'm like, that's not it. And then I'm like. Oh, it's Bowie in Firewalk with me. <laughs> That's why I have the memories of this. Oh, then it all came kind of flooding to me. I was really worried I was going to go through the week without remem- remembering where I got it from. And then I'm like, yes, when he was yelling and screaming and they had that kind of the weird jazz trumpet that's uh, uh, that's that's what that was okay yeah you're exactly right it's hard not to get the memories of what you're watching there i will say this is my favorite song that was in twin peaks that's on this album i've always loved this song um it's really good just the way that the the tonal with the especially when she's getting into the chorus and kind of getting there i could still hear it it's really really good um and then we're left with number 11 which is another twin peaks yeah. one joe the this voice is my love. favorite one that was in twin peaks though just because i love how it's used because this is the song at the end of twin peaks. yes yes this is where i think we agreed like i still i still think the end of fire walk with me is the official end of twin peaks my opinion is it takes place after the return or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just like, it's the song plays and it's Laura's finally getting her. Uh, she's finally going to heaven. She's finally. Yeah. She's the pain is going away. She's mm-hmm. finding the relief. And so the, like I hear this song and like, I just see uh, Cheryl Lee like tearing up with uh, Kyle McLaughlin there. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, this is my favorite of the Twin Peaks songs on this album. 
Yes, yes. I can, and like yeah. it's, it's very hymnal. Very hymnal. Or as sees the angel. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's very hymnals. Yeah, yeah. again, when you hear this song, all I see the flashing light of the red room. I see the statue. I see you know, him, uh, Michael McLaughlin with his hand on her shoulder. She's smiling and laughing and crying. You see kind of the angel, and then it's all disappearing. You see that whole sequence go through when you, when you get this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. The one that's used in Twin Peaks, though, doesn't have the vocals. It's just the I don't think it has the vocals. Yeah. And I feel no, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it has the vocals, but I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've watched Firewall. No, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Joe were right on that. That didn't have the vocals because that was something that was remembering, remember me thinking is, in hearing this version, I think I would have preferred this version. Yeah, yeah, it says uh, instrumental version of Voice of Love was okay. In Firewall. So, so but yeah, I, but like I, even like even her vocals, I think add to it. So like I almost wish. I almost wish this version was in Firewalk with me because she has that very angelic, ethereal quality to it. I think it would add a little bit more, but. We are on the same page with that one because I feel exactly the same way. I felt that if it was her vocals, I think it would have added to the fact that it was the angel and doing those things because, again, she has that really high soprano, that ethereal um, hymnal. Uh, and, again, I – I don't want you to think like boring white people hymnal. <laughs> no. It's definitely there's soul, there's there's art, there's life, there's breath in it. Yeah. It's not just and oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's not that. It's really not that, you guys. It's not. It's not. You know, uh, Grandma Joe's. Uh, you know, Funk and Wagner band. Like when you hear the singing and like the the weird fucking Vatican shit, like yeah, very just professionally done. It's not. Bored people on the weekends. No, or someone singing uh, uh, rap songs about Christ being their <laughs> N-word. Um, it's definitely not that. Um, so, yeah, all in all, Joe, that is um, that is the album. Um, it, it was uh, rated five and a half, um, four, excuse me, four and a half stars out of five by All Music. Um, again, uh, some of them was not necessarily with Julie Cruz, but you know, the Angelo was given a Grammy. Um, it, they're, um, uh, off this, um, the singles were questions in a world of blue and moving in on you, um, were the, were the singles and never did chart. Um, the only thing for Julie that did chart was 1990s falling, unfortunately, which reached number 11 in the United and the U S seven in the UK and number one in Australia. Um, and uh, then Rockin' Back Inside My Heart charted in the UK at 66, and in Australia at 107 did not chart in the US. And um, yeah, that was really all she got in terms of accolades, things like that. I think it's very unfortunate. I think um, Julie deserved um, a little bit more um, uh, knowledge. I think um, that, as we talked about with back on the This Mortal Coil um, album, Sheer voice she did fit. get a lot. Like I think, like the fan base of Peaks, mm -hmm. really just. I mean, she didn't get it like from the critics. She got a lot of accolades from weirdos like us. Yes, I think. I mean, it's not the greatest, but I mean, it's at least it's that. I guess. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I don't know if she went. I I don't know if she ever went to the the Twin Peaks festivals or anything. But like I mean, she didn't know she was loved by this fan base. 
I think so. I, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I think she really did have to know that. I mean, it was, um, you know, it, it was there. Um, you know, she was on. I mean, she in 1996, she was on the Scream soundtrack. Um, she was on. Um, she worked uh, with the Pesh Mode at one point later on, but yeah, never really. I mean, when you're working with Depeche Mode in 2003, you're not hitting the high, high notes either. <laughs> I don't mean to make fun of it, but it's there. Um, interesting enough, I didn't know this. The World Spins was also used in an episode of House um, in 2012. Um, but yeah, I, I always felt like she never got her due. Um, and unfortunately, she uh, passed away um, beforehand. And then... Um, you know, I I, I kind of thought that I really did think that with the advent of um, Twin Peaks, the return and how what a big deal that was, I kind of expected her to kind of come out uh, again and kind of become a thing again. And <clears throat> boy, was I wrong. Um, and I think that that's I think that's the biggest tra tra travesty here is that for you and I, who have such an eclectic range of music for both you and I to be in on something like this which is something that I don't think typically you and I would listen to uh, per se, or someone would suspect that we've listened to music like this. The fact that we can both look at it and connect to it. Yes, there's that Twin Peaks reference, but this transcends that, the fact that we're listening to some of this and could enjoy this album. Um, I really hope that our that people that listen to this podcast um, Give it a little bit. Give her a little bit more attention and go through some of her catalog a little bit. Let's get her trending a little bit here because that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good stuff. It's very very interesting and wild and beautiful music. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. So, Joe, I guess I mean, let's get to recommendations. Uh, what do you recommend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this yeah. is great. I love that. Like again, this. I love jazz. I love uh, her voice is so fucking beautiful. Uh, mm -hmm. I love Angela Balamenti's uh, arrangements ever since I saw Twin Peaks. I'm a Lynch fan. So yeah, this is, I would, yeah, this is really good. This is a very beautiful dream pop jazz album. And I, I think if you like, if you like jazz, you'd probably like this album. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing with you there. Uh, I have to admit, uh, and I, I think it's only fair that I, you know, I, I think you have the same uh, problem I have, which is it is very difficult to discern yourself or, you know, look at it from a point of view of this is from something that I do know I love from a fan, from a fandom I love and trying to separate it. Um, so I do look at it from a point of view where there are people that is not necessarily going to have the the nostalgia or the connection to it, um, like Lynch fans of, of ourselves or Twin Peaks fans like ourselves. Because, again, it's not just um, Twin Peaks. It's Blue Velvet. It's Wild at Heart. Um, so it was hard for me to really separate that. And I, as as a Lynch fan, I say yes. Um as a jazz fan, I say yes. However, um, uh, I I could see where there are people like if you're a strictly metalhead or you're a strictly this style of fan, um, 
I could see where people couldn't would not get into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but if you have more of an open kind of viewpoint in music and you do enjoy different genres, I honestly think it'd be you'd be hard pressed not to find at least one or two tracks that you won't like on this album. And overall, I don't. I think I'd be hard pressed, especially if you're a jazz fan or like a goth fan, especially if you're a goth fan because of the vocals for it. It's very, very, very romance goth um and you know we 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 alluded to that back on the um um the this mortal coil album so i think there's a lot here so i'm gonna say yeah i'm gonna straight up recommend this uh you know with those kind of not necessarily caveats but just saying hey if this if you're if you're this person, you're this person, you're probably not going to like it. And, um, you know, lastly, I will say, Joe, there is a Minneapolis connection with her. Um, she was an actress and singer for the Children's Theater Company here in Minneapolis. Oh. And I had no idea. Because I was four years old. No. Yeah. <laughs> for my time, Paul. Before. For our time, Joe. So, yeah, rest in peace, Julie. Um, and, you know, just, just you know, it's, uh, I, I got scared when she passed away. I got scared when um, uh, Miguel Feard uh, passed away. I get scared when uh, Al Strobel. Um, I am just, I'm waiting for that day, Joe, coming up here when Lynch, we're going to get it from Lynch. I'm just waiting for it. And uh, uh, it's going to be a rough, rough, rough day. It's going to be a lot of um, uh, Lynch um, binge watching. <laughs> well, I got a, I got a lot of the Blu-rays. Paul. Yes. I got, got a lot of them. So yeah, not you all. Have, do you have Inland Empire? I don't have that yet. Okay, that's a hard one. I was hoping. Yeah, it's a hard that. one to find. Uh, uh, Criterion's doing uh, Lost Highway, so that'll be coming out. I think. The, this before the end of the year so oh cool oh super cool okay so um yeah so joe um what do you have going on at the joe down <laughs> we just uh like what did we just review uh the next one's gonna be uh first blood rambo uh, point break we did point yes, break we're doing uh rambo johnny utah <laughs> yeah so we're doing uh, first blood which is uh very different mm-hmm. from the Rambo movies that would follow. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about that. Uh, the, the original First Blood, if you have never seen it, it deals more with PTSD. Yes, of a yes. veteran and less and almost not of a, the American action hero shit. So you wouldn't. I, it's night and day. It really, yeah. really is. It, Rambo, um, yeah, uh, um, First Blood, and then Rambo to Rambo first blood part two yeah two very distinctly different tones movies it's really even a different character yeah um very much a different character it's very much a different character um yeah uh and it's funny we, we talked so I was having a hard time sleeping uh, uh over the weekend or a couple nights ago and um we, uh, I was watching Hot Shots and then <laughs> Hot Shots Part Two, and 
God, Hot Shots one wasn't bad, but Hot Shots Part two is really actually I remember I remember liking it more as a kid, and it's bad. Um, but it also points out just how ridiculous like the Rambo first blood part two movie really is like it's comically <laughs> it i mean i watched i tried i did watch that one too and i was just laughing i was like oh my god this is so so fake <laughs> like how did people how did this become a big thing like when you really look at it it's it plays the movie itself plays like a spoof almost because uh, <laughs> it's just so over the top and so ridiculous well you had to win the vietnam war paul yeah, you had to go back and correct that wrong <laughs> Thanks, Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how Rocky had to win the Cold War, even though, yeah. and I'll say, Rocky Four is my favorite Rocky movie, and I, I understand it's the most ridiculous of all of them, but I don't So care. ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, I watched a fake mockumentary where they were well, talking about how... 30 for 30? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Apollo was in dancing shape. He wasn't in boxing shape. Oh what was the line like, yeah, I think it was the bad idea for him to do a 20-minute song and dance number with James Brown before. <laughs> before, before, yeah. I really think it sapped his energy. <laughs> People say that. People say that, uh, that uh, Ronald Reagan won the Cold War. It wasn't. It was Rocky Balboa who won the Cold War. <laughs> we Gorbachev wouldn't have taken down the wall if it wasn't for Rocky. Uh, <laughs> it's so brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to, to do that one because yeah, I do. I do love that movie. I love yeah, that. I, re- I rewatched it. I was. I forgot. It's, it's weird because you know you this the the sequels are so cartoonish and then like. You realize like how kind of serious the the first blood was. Yeah, it's a guy going through a lot of shit. <laughs> going through a lot. I mean, it was more reminiscent of kind of what vets were going through coming back from yeah. the Vietnam War Just because lost and their country doesn't, you know, not showing them any respect and, and from both sides. I mean, from both, from both sides. Hammer's home. It's like wasn't just the libs. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the conservative cops don't want them in town. Yeah, you know, and that that's something that I think gets lost a lot on uh, in by the conservatives, uh, especially growing up, was that it was the it was the libs that were the ones. Now, my my dad um, joined um, he and his buddy when they graduated high school. They were going to get drafted. So they decided to enlist versus getting drafted because they figured uh, they might as well go through the whole training um, and, and you know, pick where they were going to go and do that type of thing versus being told where they were going to go. Well, my dad's friend ended up dying, um, going over and dying. Or my dad, would, the thing that he picked, they were pulling those people out. So he never actually went over. And when my dad was there to present the flag, to his my my uh, his friend's mom, she spit on him, and she was a conservative. Um, and there was this whole th- I, mis- misconception that it was the liberals. Oh my God, they're treating those vets so horribly, and blah blah blah. No, it wasn't just that. Again, it was the conservative cops. It was it was people in town because these people came back different, and they were dealing with things, and they weren't integrating right because um at the time soldiers uh, even now I, I still think they struggle with it they were given absolutely no form of therapy anything it was just you've been killing for two years come home 
Yeah. Um, and so they were struggling to fit in in all avenues. Um, and that's why I think the Vietnam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Vietnam vets is the largest group of vets that became homeless. Uh, that's, yeah. 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 And, all the weird shit they experimented with them. There is a lot of that. There was a lot of that. And there, you know, people say, oh, that's all conspiracy theory. It's a lot no, of Agent Orange is very real. Very real. Um, a lot of that's been kind of declassified, how they were putting stuff in the rations and yeah. um, doing things like that. So, yeah. And, you know. Popping and, them up on speed and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, a lot of those guys came back addicts. I mean, people wondered why. Oh, my God. Why is this Vietnam vet coming back a heroin addict? A friend of mine, his dad came back from Vietnam, a heroin addict. He didn't do heroin before he went to Vietnam, came out doing heroin. So there was a lot of weird shit going on um, in that. And you sit there and you go, well, it's because these kids are getting drafted. Who was giving them the heroin? <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't leave Paris Island with a pocket full of fucking heroin people, you know? So yeah, it was, it was, and a lot of these kids, they were 18 that were going in over there. So yeah, it was, um, it was a different, different breed with different war. So, uh, I, I'm glad, you know, I, I think it's a really insightful movie to the audience that hasn't seen it or read the book. If you're a book reader instead, um, it's yeah, it's worth seeing. So I'm in intrigued to see your guys's review on that one. Um, all right, buddy. So what are we doing next week, Joe? Well, Paul, we're doing something a little different. <laughs> right. I'm bracing. I'm bracing right. myself here. So I found a, I found a list cause I, you know, we're kind of going in our comfort zones. I want to jar us out of it a bit. Please do. I've been on a roll here, but, yep. uh, Let's get out of the comfort zone. I found a, a list of the top 50 albums of 2022. Oh, okay. I took out six of them because there are bands that we're either I was familiar with or you're familiar with, or I thought you were familiar with. Sure. So, so I left the ones that I really had no idea what the fuck this is. Mm-hmm. So we have 44 albums here on this mm-hmm. list, Paul. I need a number from you bet- uh, between 1 and 44, and that'll be the album we listen to. 22. We're going straight in the middle. 22. 22. All right. This is an album by a band called Porridge Radio. Porridge? What the? Okay. Yep. So the, al- the band is called Porridge Radio. The album right. is Waterslide Diving board, ladder to to the sky. Interesting. All right. Oh boy, off the secretly Canadian label. Oh, <laughs> goody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. This is on you, Paul. If it's bad, <laughs> it's on me. If it's bad, it's on me. If it's bad. Um, all right, so I got it put up here. Porridge radio, water, uh, water slide, diving board, ladder to the sky. Uh, all right, let's see. Just make sure it's on my YouTube music because <laughs> I don't want to go through another Hank Williams fiasco <laughs> where I'm wasting a couple days trying to find the goddamn thing. Uh, it is. It's right there. It's there. It is there. We got 13 tracks, Joe, rolling in at 44 minutes. All right. All right. I have no idea what this is going to be, Paul. So I have no idea either. 
Uh, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see how we react. <laughs> well, I like I like the way you think. Just let's just do something we we haven't we've never heard. So let's get in there and let's do that. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. Um, I'm gonna avoid any reviews, anything like that. I want to have my own um, viewpoint on it. So we'll go from there. Okay. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> it's adventure <laughs> time, Joe. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Here we go, Paul. All right. So, hey, are you, uh, I want to just ask you this on air. Are you watching either House of the Dragon or the um, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power? Nope. You haven't watched either one of them. Okay. Well, one, I don't like Lord of the Rings. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'm just not a fan of Tolkien. And two, I got rid of HBO Max, so oh, that's right. I'll, I'll watch the House of the Dragon when I, when it's the whole first season's done. Then I'll get on HBO Max and just binge it. Yeah. And then. Normally, that's what I do. Normally, I don't watch a series until it's finished. Um, but uh, I've been finding myself being an old man and going to bed early, or at least laying down early. Um, so I've been watching things. So I've actually been watching both. And I have to say that I actually enjoy them both. Um, I was a little worried with the first episode of House of the Dragon because... One of the things that I really, I think that you love about it and why it's called Game of Thrones is because it's all about the politicking and the games going on to get the throne. And I felt that the first episode, I, I felt like I was watching fanfic because I was like, this isn't really, there's no intrigue, there's nothing here. Um, but then to see the second episode and realizing that was all just world building and character kind of building and uh, settling and then you start seeing some of that uh i have to say i was pleasantly surprised with episode two um and the lord of the rings i'm a big lord of the rings fan um i've read the books i've read the hobbit um you know um i, I will admit actually the the peter jackson lord of rings bothered me for a little while because characters were saying like in that movie there's things that Gandalf says that actually Aragorn says, and there's things that Aragorn says that actually Legolas says. Like they swapped a lot of the, some of the personality traits and some of the speaking parts. And like, there's things in there that were dropped that, you know, fan favorites like Tom Bombadil and the Ents had a bigger kind of thing in it. Anyways, point is, is that I mellowed out with that over the years and when I watched uh, Ring of Power, I have to say that I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, I was, I want you know, we talked about one of the things being like set pieces and things like that being a big thing for me, um, and uh, like production wise. And I was very pleased with the production. I have to say that um, <clears throat> I think they're both both shows are on a really good trajectory. So there's my there's my thought on it, Joe. So maybe maybe you know. Just take that as for what it is. I, I just wanted to talk about because I know it's like the big thing. There's the shows that everyone's talking about in terms of can't miss television. So I was just curious if you're watching them. No, I've been watching what we do in the shadows. <sighs> Such a good show, too. <laughs> Such a good show. I've been meaning to get to um, uh, Sandman as well. And I will. Get yeah, to I want to get to that, too, though. Yeah. I want to, yeah, I want to be able to give it my full attention though. So I'm kind of been waiting for like a weekend where I can sit down for a little while and binge it a little bit and watch it because I'm a big fan of the comics of death. I have some of the graphic novels and things like that um, from when I was a kid and that type of thing. So I am really, really <laughs> looking forward to seeing that. But all right, Joe. Well, anything else there that we should discuss before we go? 
I don't think so. All right. Do you want to take us out? Absolutely not. This has been Rate That Album with Paul Muadib and Joe Fremming. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>